asking, um, how long have you been Catholic? Since 1998. We, um, you're, yeah. You're an old-timer. Well, yes and no. I didn't actually become Catholic till I was 32. So, yeah. And had was married with two children before we ever did it. So, anyway. But, yeah, I feel like I've been around a long time now. <laughs> well, but, wow. I met you as old like me. I just met, you know, usually when we have a convert on the channel, they're usually, you know, have only been one a, a short time. You've been around a long time. Yeah. Um, you had asked one day um, if people ever wanted to be on to let you know. And at first I was like, no, you know, I, I kind of thought you wanted maybe experts on topics. <laughs> and uh, then one day you specifically said, I don't want experts on topics. I want real people. Right. I want um, real people. Yeah. So I guess I thought, well, I know I have a story, you know, I, I have a story of coming into the church and it took me years. I actually felt the call to become Catholic in high school, but it took me to 32 to actually do anything about it. And then um, you and I both, I think, shared the fact that we lost a son, you know, so I've been through, your son was a different thing than mine. I, I went through a suicide and with my son. And um, so there's that aspect because actually that is a big part of my story and just, um, knowing that there is a God, you know, out of that tragedy, I can also point back to that and say, I know there is a God and I never doubt that anymore, you know, or I don't, I don't know. But, um, and then three years ago, my husband had a massive stroke. Right. Now I'm kind of, li I'm living a different phase of my life now. And maybe that's where I can be of help to some people. Um, I'm not a brand new convert, but I have uh, lived different phases of our life. Like right now, I can't go to church. Um, I, I don't leave my husband. Now, right now, tonight's a different. <laughs> tonight, I had to move heaven and earth just to be on this live. You know, we had to drive 25 miles to my daughter's. My son-in-law took the grandkids to one grandma's house. My daughter took my husband out. <laughs> and that's the only way I can have an hour to be with, with you on here. But um, I'm living the life now of, I, I can't leave him to go to mass. He has struggled a whole lot to get as far as he's gotten, but he still has a lot of anxiety about going out in public and um, we can barely go to restaurants. It's, it's a big ordeal to even get him to go to a restaurant. And um, it's only happened a few times. And so um, anyway, we run a lot of errands and stuff. We get out of the house. He just doesn't, he is not ready to be wheeled into mass and, um, but God works in mysterious ways, and even though I can't go to Mass and all at this point in my life, uh, I'm, I say I'm literally washing the feet of Christ every day. You know, I'm, I've ministered to him. I have to take care of him, bathe him, take care of him, and dress him every day. And I actually feel like I've, it's raised me up spiritually in a way that I wouldn't have had I not had to go through this last three years, you know, taking care of him. So. Um, you know, God knows what he's doing. And I, I, I think I needed that aspect of my life worked on, you know, because I was very much independent minded person. And, and, um, and now I'm more like I'm in servant mode all the time now. And, um, uh, but I needed that. So I don't mm -hmm. know. I've tried to look at the best of everything and the good and everything. And, um, this is just another phase of my life though, you know, and there'll be more phases to come, but, um, had a lot of, a lot of things go on, and I felt like, well, maybe some aspect of the story 
would hit people a certain way, you know. Absolutely. You know, so many times we we only see people that seem to have all the blessings flowing yeah. to them on every wave. Um, that's what's preached on a lot of the popular uh, church programs on TV, you know, your best life now and all. Um, just to rewind a bit on your story, uh, first of all, very sorry to hear about your son. Oh, thank um, you. That's uh, precious. That must be a terrible, terrible um, thing to go through. And it split my life. I have life before that happened and life after that happened. And I, I judge everything by did that happen before Ricky died or after? You know, because it, it affects your your whole life and your whole ability to gauge who you were before that happened as opposed to who you were after. And I'm, I'm probably two different people now. So Yeah, um, for start boohooing, I'm just going to walk off camera and you can take over. But I've, I've yeah. uh, experienced some of those same feelings. How, what type of church background were you raised in? Did you go to church growing up? or? Yes, yeah. I have a, a whole history in my family of the Methodist church on, mm -hmm. on my dad's side. My, both of my dad's parents were Methodist. Their parents were Methodist and on and on. And uh, to the 1800s, 1700s, you know, a long way back. And um, they're all buried at Methodist churches near where I live. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but my grandmother, my dad's mom, her family took it a, a next level and a lot of them became ministers, Methodist ministers. So that was, you know, what my family was all about. I had my great grandpa was a Methodist minister. I had uncles that were, and I still have um, a female cousin that is alive now. And she is a preacher in the Methodist church. She And she also had married a preacher. He just passed away. But, you know, I have a lot of Methodist ministers in my family. And so that's what I grew up with. On my mom's side, they were all Baptist, but my mom became Methodist and we were raised in a Methodist church. So, and I always tell people, you know, a lot of times you hear conversion stories and people came in, um, maybe growing up in a church that talked bad about Catholics or whatever, but I never was, our church never did that, thank goodness. Uh, I did not ever grow up hearing really bad things about any church. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I couldn't tell you why I was Methodist other than that was what my family was. Um, but I don't really think anybody in the Methodist church really knew why they were Methodist. You know, mm -hmm. we never discussed. It was never talked about. Um, I, it just was what it was, you know, and, and we went because that's where my dad and my mom went. And uh, But I loved that background. Um, it was beautiful people, um, just good people, good, solid people. Uh, I say, I don't drink coffee, but I say every time I smell coffee pot going, it brings me back to the Methodist church because we had a, right behind our sanctuary was a gathering room and they would always have these big coffee pot urns, yeah. you know, that the urns would be ready to go. The minute church, yeah. they would crank them up and then I would get taken in there because we were little and all the adults were in there drinking coffee and I just grew up remembering all the coffee, you know, and stuff. So it was good memories and I have, I have great memories. And, and actually my husband and I got married in the Methodist church. He, he was Baptist. His whole family was Baptist, but he was going to church with me and we got married there. But, um, before to back up though, but, um, if you wonder what made me even feel like becoming Catholic was 
in high school, we lived in a, uh, I lived in a subdivision in our town. And luckily we just had a bunch of kids in the subdivision that were all the same age. We all went to school together and hung out together. And it was like Christmas holidays. And I guess we didn't want to, we just want to hang out still. So we all decided to go to midnight mass at the Catholic church, which was around the corner and we could walk to it. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of my friends were Catholic. And um, so we just, you know, in order to delay, you know, going to bed and everything, we all went to the mass together and sat in a pew. We didn't know anything. We didn't know anything, you know, and uh, what we were doing there. But I just, and I remember it's weird how things will stand out. Number one is all my friends, from school that were Catholic were sitting with their families. And that was odd because of, uh, when I was in high school, I did go visit a lot of different uh, Baptist churches and stuff because of youth groups and stuff. You know, they would hold, host things after football games and we'd go to it and everything. And, uh, every, you know, every one of them was fine. But um, when we'd go to church or do any kind of church service, a lot of the youth would sit together. Right. And so, of course, we're coming in as a, a gang, you know, <laughs> to go to midnight mass. We all sit together and, uh, it, it struck me that I was like, oh, they're so-and-so and they're so-and-so and they're all with their families, you know, and um, and that's something to this day that is still that way. I don't know how everybody's Catholic churches are, but you don't really sit in these clumps. Here's the old mm -hmm. people, here's the youth, here, you know, everybody sits with their families, you know, and um, I, I like that. But uh, anyway, when they started, I, I'm going to call it communion, not the Eucharist right now, because in my mind, I was watching communion, you know, because that's, that's what we called it at the Methodist church. So mm -hmm. when they started communion, um, I recognized a lot of it because in the back of our hymnal at the Methodist church, we had a lot of that same liturgy and that's what we would follow when we would do communion. So I was like, Oh, I, you know, I know all this, you know, <laughs> I, I, we're, we're close to being Catholics really in the Methodist church. Cause I, I recognize all this wording, you know? And um, so I, that kind of struck me. I I liked the way they were doing that, and I appreciated it because I was used to it, you know, kind of at the Methodist Church. Now I didn't understand any of the any of the transubstantiation or the background of the Eucharist. Or anything. I just in my I can't mind, even say that word to this yeah. day. I can't say it. <laughs> but in my mind, it was just simply a beautiful communion service, you know, and which I appreciated. But I always laugh because you know when sign of peace at the Catholic church just explodes and all these hugs and kisses. And you know, I can remember just like, we were all just standing there. We didn't really know what to do. So I'm watching uh, like all my friends and they're kissing their parents and they're hugging their sisters and brothers and everybody's kissing and just smooch, 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 you know? <laughs> and I just remember thinking, uh, wow, you know, that's nice. You know, that's nice that, that they all just, love each other as a family you know stuff so it's not that I, we didn't it's just that that wasn't our our way you know right. uh, do all that at the methodist church you didn't turn around and smooch everybody you know or whatever so it was it was funny to watch that but it it planted seeds in me you never know in your life you can't plan on planting seeds you know they just get planted through things you don't even really mean so i'm watching that night and i'm, I'm seeing all this this uh, joy among people, you know, and they're at the midnight mass and it's Christmas. So, you know, it was, it was joyful. And um, so it kind of set in my mind and then I thought, okay, well, when I go back to my Methodist church, I'm really gonna pay more attention to communion and, and, and get my mind into it a little bit more. 
And so I did. And I still was continuing to go to some uh, different churches just to hang out with friends and stuff. But um, as I got toward the end of high school, well, I got married at 19. So mm-hmm. it wasn't long after I graduated, I was getting married. And Richard Excuse and me. got married in our church. So we had started going to church at my church faithfully. And um, I loved it. was first Sunday of every month in the Methodist church at our church. We only did it once a month had communion and that wasn't enough for me i really liked that sunday the most i would have loved to have maybe had it every sunday but they didn't and um and a lot of the people it wasn't a big deal they didn't really care for it um i say that because we got um a preacher at that time and he ended up being the preacher that married us and he was very liturgical and he enjoyed um doing all of the 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 whole liturgy at the back of the book and a lot of people did not like him because of that because it made the service last too long and uh they just didn't care for it my my best friend's uncle he just told me oh you'll see me every sunday but you won't see me on the first sunday in month yeah i'm not i don't i don't want you know it takes too long i'm not doing that so i started noticing you know a lot of the older people they wouldn't come on that sunday they didn't that was to them um, an extension of the service that just was, un- they didn't care for it. I'm not speaking for everybody. I'm just saying that was what started me to say, well, I like this part of it. I mm-hmm. think it's because I was more engaged. You, I, you could do more things there, you know, give the piece. Of, so we did it moderately, but you had to give peace to people. And you, you were able to follow along. You know, I wasn't just sitting there being, listening to a sermon, you know, I was, engaged right. and I just spoke to me more than you know just sitting and listening and you know some people take notes or do whatever you do at service but for me I liked being more engaged in the liturgy and so uh anyway that just planted a seed in me to want more and more of that so at some point I like I said uh we lived my parents did uh, I didn't after I got married, but we lived by the Catholic Church. So I would see it every time I was coming and going to their houses. And one day when I was going at Christmas time, like going to my mom's or something, the, the doors of the Catholic Church had been opened wide and the priest was processing out. And it was a Christmas mass. And um, he was processing out and just people all in the church and all. And I don't know. I just remember thinking, I wish I was there. You know, I just wish right. I was there. So, but I have the ability to delay, you know, doing that. I can put things off better than anybody I know sometimes. And I kind of just quashed my feelings on it because I, it's a good thing I saw all my friends uh, having such a, a nice time at Mass with their families, but it also planted the seed in me that, well, I'll never have that. I mean, like I could join the Catholic Church tomorrow, but. I'm never going to have that, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not going to have parents sitting with me. I'm not going to have siblings sitting with me. You know, I'm, I'm not going to down here in Louisiana, you know, godparents, they're called like nannies and parans. You know, I'm like, my, I'm not going to have a nanny and paran. I'm not, my kids aren't going to have nannies and parans. You know, there, nobody, how am I going to do this? How am I going to take myself and put myself into the Catholic church when I didn't come into it as a child? You know, I, I just, couldn't figure it out all of my friends that were catholic were born catholic 
Um, a lot of them had big Italian families and stuff, you know, um, I didn't have a big Italian family. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but that's the mentality I was talking myself out of every prompting God gave me. I was talking myself out of it. You know, mm -hmm. I, I was, I, um, we already, um, we went on to have our oldest two kids. There's a big gap between our oldest two and our youngest. So that's why I refer to just them right now. We had our oldest two kids after we got married. And, um, then you start thinking, well, you know, they're growing up and they're not going to know anything about the Catholic church. I can't just go stick them in CCD. You know, I, I, mm -hmm. I literally came up with a hundred excuses not to do anything. So, and at, and what, at one point when the kids were little, I did just finally decide I'm, I'm ready, you know, I'm ready. So I talked to my husband about it and he was like, Oh yeah, now I understand what you're saying, but you know, no, uh, you know, let's, let's don't join the Catholic church. He said, let's just really, really commit ourselves to, to going because we had kind of gotten lax and we weren't going a whole lot anymore to any church. So he said, let's just commit ourselves to going to the Catholic church. I mean, to the Methodist church again. Mm -hmm. And he said, uh, but I told him, I said, well, you've never joined. You're still Baptist. I'm, I'm Methodist. We had gotten our oldest son baptized, but we had not gotten our second child, our daughter baptized. So we had one, one baptized, one not, one Methodist parent, one Baptist parent. And my, in my heart, I just wanted us all under one roof. Mm -hmm. And um, so he, he asked me, no, though, but let's just really commit ourselves to going. He said, and let me just go back for a while and we'll get involved. And, you know, he said then I, I probably will join the church, you know. So that's what we did. Of course, it didn't happen. You know, we didn't didn't end up going near enough that we needed to he didn't end up joining or even wanting to ask about it you know he just he he was very shy but and and i i understand that you know i i he would be coming into my church i wasn't going into his so if i if the situation was reversed i would have been scared and shy and everything mm -hmm. we just never never pulled the trigger you know we never got everybody under one roof <laughs> and it bothered me and every year when I would know uh, catechism was starting and I would hear other people talking about bringing their kids to catechism, I would think, well, that's another year my kids didn't start the church and they're behind and they're behind and they're, you know, and, and that's, that's what was in my mind. It's just every year that ticked away, I was, it was another year gone and I couldn't get back. And then one day I was at work <laughs> And I think somebody, I worked with uh, a couple of people that were Catholic, and I think somebody had a, a bulletin, and I saw that um, the classes for RCIA were starting again, and catechism was fixing to start again, and um, there, there again, I'm just those self-doubts. I was just like, oh, here goes another year, you know? <laughs> here goes another year of classes starting and stuff, and we're not going to be there, you know? And then something just during that day, I was like, why? Why are you not you know just if not now when you know when you're going to do this and um because it, it was really just hurting my heart that I hadn't done it and so um I decided that was the day <laughs> and I always laugh because uh I well I decided that was the year I went home that evening and my husband wasn't even home yet you know and I'm cooking and I just I just got a big old fight in my mind with him because I knew he was going to walk in and say, you know, no, oh, Laney, no, no, no. Uh. <laughs> and so I got myself all stirred up and I was cooking and everything. And uh, I was just like, 
I wanted him to really hear me and, and do it this time, but yet you don't want to fight and stuff. Anyway, I had myself all stirred up by the time he got home. And I was cooking spaghetti. I, I don't know if you remember silly things, but I was cooking spaghetti. And he just walked in the back door and said, hey, <laughs> like people do when they walk in the back door. And boy, I whooped around and I had that spaghetti spoon and I, it was like, it was on. <laughs> and I just told him, I said, I made a decision. I'm joining the Catholic Church. And I remember just having that spoon going everywhere. And I said, you can either join it now with me or you can join it later by yourself. I don't care, but this year I'm starting, you know. And, mm. and I didn't mean to really act like that. You, you want to handle it. It's about God. <laughs> you know, you want to handle right. it a little better than that. <laughs> But I was, that was what I did. I was just so stirred up by the time he got home. I just, I wanted it over with. The, the whole conversation, I just wanted it over with. And um, so he was like, whew, I'm going to have to have a beer. <laughs> so he got a beer and went outside. And he went sat on our back porch. And I kept cooking. And I was like, well, that wasn't good. You know, I didn't do that very good. <laughs> and he's mad. And uh, I thought he was. Well, he comes back in the house a couple of seconds later and says, all right, I got a sponsor. And I said, you what? <laughs> I said, what? He said, well, don't you have to have a sponsor to join the Catholic Church? And I said, well, yeah. And he said, oh, well, I got I got one. And he, he mm. called a friend of ours outside, asked him to be a sponsor. Mm. I have a sponsor. So I was like, well, I don't even have a sponsor. <laughs> and so really, that, that was how it went. He didn't argue with me. Uh, I don't know why, really, to this day. I think he, he, you know, he knew we hadn't really lived up to his end of what he asked of me. He knew I still wanted to do it, you know, and um, so he didn't fight me at all. And um, now he's still very shy. When you do go through with the RCIA process, there's lots of rights and things, and you're up in front of the church, you know, and um. I'm nervous about that too. It wasn't just him, you know, and, uh, and there's lots of people we know from all over the community. I worked at a business in the community, so I knew tons of people. He knew tons of people. So when you're, you, you very much humble yourselves yeah. when, when you get up in front of a church to join a church and in the Catholic faith, there's different things you have to do. Um, when you have a whole RCI process, you know, and, um, so we were up there, four or five times. <laughs> yep. Um, you know, it, it was hard. It is humbling. It was it was very humbling and uh not not in a bad way. It's just when you're kind of a shy person. Right. I was, he was, and um it it was it was not easy. However, I will tell people, um I thought about this earlier today, it just hit me and I said a while ago, you never know when you're planting seeds. Well the um I worked at a family business and um, my dad was a partner in a business. Well, his partner's wife um, was real good friends with me and she, she actually worked there too. And I did not really realize that she was wanting to become Catholic. And even when I talked about things, she had never said, I want to join, you know, and, um, but she ends up joining the next year's RCIA class. And at Easter time, when she joined, so this would be the Easter of 1999, she gave us a little gift and a, a letter because we were, I was um, jumping ahead. I was on the RCIA team. They asked me to be on the team starting the next year. So I was at everything she was at. Mm. 
So she gives uh, us a little gift in a letter at Easter. And in the letter, it says, I've been wanting to do this for years, but I was too afraid. And she said, but when I saw Richard doing it, and I knew he was so afraid, I knew I could do it. Right. You know, so she came into the church because of Richard's fear and trembling. <laughs> you know, but, you, but when you do humble yourself and you and you're it's a way of letting go and just letting God use you for whatever. You know, I'm up here I'm doing what you asked me to do. And God takes even your fear and your embarrassment and, you know, and he uses it, you know, and he brought her into the church. She not long afterward got diagnosed with cancer and she passed away two years later in, mm. 20, in uh, 2001. Uh, her husband suffered from Parkinson's and he uh, he had had a stroke himself earlier in life and he had Parkinson's. And after she passed away, he came into the church. Uh, he didn't have to do all the classes or anything. Uh, our priest actually went to his house and he joined the church with me just sitting by him in, uh, in the living room. But oh, um, really? So you never know, you know, what, what you never <coughs> I can say that you never can tell. You know, what My oldest son had his confirmation and everything in pre-op. Oh, did he? Mm -hmm. Priest came and and uh, they did the pictures and everything. And he was in his hospital gown and they anointed him. Did every, the whole nine yards right there in pre-op. Sent me pictures of it. Yeah. Yep. He never went to RCIA. Yeah. And like a deathbed conversion. A lot of people don't realize. Well, different churches can handle it how they want to. RCIA is technically not for the baptized. You, they can do it a whole different way to bring you in. But a lot of times it's it's just for the unbaptized that may want to join the Christian faith. Um, but a lot of times they go ahead and set it up to where everybody goes to all the classes because right. you need that catechism. You need to be catechized into the Catholic church, you know, and, um, and I do appreciate all the classes that we had and that I went to and everything. But, but what I'm saying is that's not a rule like your son, that a priest can just um, bring you right. into the anytime they want to. Are you, you know? familiar with Father Mitch Paqua on EW10? You ever heard of him? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I had him uh, but I know he, yeah, he's wonderful. Yeah, I was driving him to the airport once. I told him about my son's conversion before surgery and uh, that he didn't go through RCIA and all this stuff. And he said, John, we've been around 2,000 years and there's more than one way to skin a cat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's all he said about it. And I learned, you know, because the norm is to go through RCIA and take the classes and start Labor Day and get bad, you know, brought into the church on Easter. But I've I've heard and seen all kinds of things, all kinds of ways. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's strictly really up to the pastor of your church. I guess they, you know, our our stuff is pretty much done the same way through the diocese, and we we go to the cathedral before easter and all that stuff so right. i'm sure they get direction kind of from the bishop but in any situation they can do what they need to do you know so we had a when we built at st mark's jr may know about this but st mark's when they built the brand new church they drew a big crowd for opening day and all uh, they had put out a community that they would need ushers where of course they're talking to Catholics, you know, we need Catholics ushers. Well, this old bachelor boy showed up 
rolled his sleeves up, and he took it upon himself to go to Kinko's and make up a whole bunch of membership cards <laughs> to join the new St. Mark's Evangelist Catholic Church. And he had membership cards out there with ink pens out in the front shaking hands. And and I, I think the church added about 3,000 new members that day in just Catholic faith. And then they had to track everybody down and, you know, and uh, fix them up. But oh, Was that you? Hmm? That wasn't you doing that, was it? Oh, no, it wasn't me. Oh, okay. <laughs> my my uh, testimony is very similar to yours in many yeah. ways. Yeah. So how long was it from the time you came into the church and your son passed? Uh, Ten years. Um, we came in in 1998. We had our last child, our, our youngest son, in 2002. So he was six when it all happened. So I had a six-year-old. And then my daughter was 18, but she had just gotten married and had a two-month-old. So we, it's kind of like we just had our first grandchild. Everybody's all excited. We had a brand-new little grandbaby. And then, boom, two months later, that happened, you know. So, um, yeah. Now, he and my oldest daughter, my daughter, uh, only daughter, but they made their communions. And because um, they, when, they, when we finally joined the Catholic Church, they were in third and fifth grade. Mm -hmm. But through the next 10 years, you know, they did the rest of their sacraments and um, made their confirmation and um, everything. He was actually 21. He was the oldest. So he, anyway, he had turned 21 a couple of months before this happened. Uh -huh. And uh, so anyway, then it was 10 years. So we had, we had a lot of years of being able to go to mass together as a family. And I, I we had a, I don't know, God knows everything. So, by the time this happened, we had a base <laughs> and yeah. people and a network of people. I had been on the RCIA team. They just just came in like angels and helped me. And um, he had a beautiful mass. Uh, I was in complete shock and just told the lady at the church, um, just whatever you do is fine. I don't, you know, I, I, I couldn't even make a decision. And um, right. But I knew what I wanted. But I, I wasn't able to voice it at that moment, like who I wanted to read. I, I, there was just certain people at our church that were beautiful readers and you want the best for your child. You know, so I thought if I could do anything, I would have this person read. I would love for this person to be the Eucharistic ministers. I would love these people. I would love, you know, for this person to be the sacristan. Or, you know, it's just certain. Right. People, but I never spoke that. And a friend of mine called me and um, she worked full time and our funeral was on a Friday, but she called me and said, I'm going to, if I, I can't do anything for you, she said, but I can handle setting up the mass if you want me to do that. And I said, I, I would love it because I, I just couldn't make any decisions. And um, so I, it's weird and I want people to please understand. I, it was a devastating time. However, the mass ended up being one of just complete joy for me I, in a way. I mean, I wasn't laughing or anything, but as the mass rolled out, <laughs> everything I imagined started coming to true. And I had no explanation for it other than God just set it all up. Even, even our priest, um, I have, I've had people tell me that they're, funerals for people they loved didn't did not go as well and they had things they were upset about our sons went 
just phenomenal. <laughs> and my priest just got him and, and, and nailed him to a T as far as just, and uh, I don't know how to explain it, but here comes the, the sacristan, you know, at the beginning of May, <laughs> there's the person I wanted. Here comes the first reader. And, and it was people that worked. So that's why I didn't really want to ask them to do anything because I would be asking them to take off their job, you know, to come to my Friday at 11 o'clock mass, you know, for my son. Our visitation was before that. And then we had 11 o'clock mass. So I didn't want to ask anybody to take off work. And there they were. And there's the next one, the next reader. And then time for the Eucharist. And here's the Eucharistic ministers that were all people I wanted, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Then when Father Vincent started uh, his homily and talking about uh, our son, he just, and he didn't know him that well personally other than just going through confirmation and stuff. But I think he had done some calling of people and talking to people and he just made the most beautiful uh, eulogy for him. I don't know how to explain it. And I didn't even want to be at the church that morning. I mean, who wants to go to their child's funeral? I know. when when I tell you I was laid in his bed, not mine, because I could smell him in his room. And I went laid in his bed that morning, curled up in a fetal position. And I told my husband, I can't go. I couldn't even figure out how I was going to get ready, you know, like put on makeup. And, you know, it's like I couldn't even figure out how I was going to get there, you know, as far as just getting my clothes picked out and everything. And I told my husband, I said, I can't go. I just can't go. And um, he told me, and we've got to. <laughs> I don't. I think he was going to start panicking. So he left me alone in Ricky's room. And it's. Uh, I had bought my kids, my two older kids, some uh, crucifixes when I was still Methodist. But I, they were about like that tall, and mm-hmm. I hung above their bedroom doors. And um, just they were there for years. You know, something's there for years. You you don't even think about it when you're going in and out. Well, all of a sudden that morning when I was just kind of going at it with God, just saying, I can't go, you know, I, I cannot put, I can't get this face back to looking like it should be to go to church. You know, I was just falling apart. And all of a sudden I looked up at that crucifix above his door and um, it just hit me. And I just said, all right, if you can do that, you know, I guess I can do this. Mm. And so I got ready and, um, I was still, you know, shaky, but when I got to our church and when I walked in, it's just like you walk into the presence of God. Yeah. And I very calm. And I, I remember telling people that were coming through the line, you know, because they would say, How are you? And I was like, I'm good right now. I'm I'm good. You know, like I feel God and I know He's here. And I, you know, so and that's also the power of the Eucharist that a lot of people don't understand. We have Jesus present in a blessed sacrament mm-hmm. in churches and the tabernacles. And you feel that when you walk in church. And that was really the only thing that got me through that day, you know, is, is feeling him when I walked in. And, right. Uh, anyway, I, I, I skip around because when you're telling a story, you kind of have to skip around. But um, when I found my son that's what I said a while ago how I know God is real (laughs) uh obviously when I found him I was freaking out and hollering his name and everything else and just (laughs) 
And uh, I, I thought if I shook him or screamed hard enough, he, you know, he'd sit up and say, what, what are you doing? You know, but uh, he didn't. And um, but while God, I, I look at it like God allowed me a few minutes because you that's your reaction. You have to go through it. And then I started hearing things. <laughs> I started hearing uh, I can, all I can say to, to people that believe they'll understand. People that don't believe, you just have to trust me or either don't believe me. I don't. I don't know. But uh, I started hearing movement and rustling, and I can't explain it except to say I call it activity. <laughs> and I. I know I realized after a few seconds, it was like angels in the room and they were busy and they were jostling, you know, and, and it was like a lot of activity. And I, I looked up from him to look at the noise, you know, and uh, I was like, okay, maybe I'm crazy, but I, I feel like angels are in here. <laughs> and I, anyway, and um, all of a sudden out of that, Jesus just says to me, not out loud, if you would have been in the hall, you probably would have heard him, but he said to me straight to where I heard it audibly in my, in my heart and in my ears, and he said, Laney, do you trust me? And that was a defining moment because I looked back down at my son and I knew, I knew, I knew when I walked in the room, he was dead or, or as good, as, he was still warm, but I knew he wasn't going to make it, you know, I, I knew he was, he was dead. Um, but I just, like I said, I felt like if I shook him hard enough and I was still in that delusion, you know, and, but I knew that God, by God asking me that he was taking him. And so I kind of had to say yes or yes, I trust you or don't do it. Don't, you know, don't take him. And I literally had to look at my son and then look back up because I'm still thinking I'm looking at some, you know, there's noise like in the room. And I said, uh, yes, I trust you, you know, and immediately, uh, immediately he said to me, go check on Mark. And that was my youngest son who actually was home with me. And I, I hadn't mentioned him in the story because I had completely forgot about him when I found my son. When, I, when we got out of the car, he had went to our little dog pen to check on some puppies we had gotten, and I went in the house. And, of course, then I called for my son. He didn't answer, and I ended up finding him, and I don't even know how long it was. Maybe it was only a few minutes. I don't know. But all of a sudden, Jesus says, check on Mark. And so I jumped up and ran down the hall, and literally as I was coming through my dining room, he was coming in the back door. <laughs> I just hit my knees and slid across my the rest of the way to my to the door and called him. And that's I, I always I'm amazed really Jesus wasn't only kind of asking my permission, but he didn't have to do that, but he asked me about taking Ricky. And then he's also watching out for my six year old that he didn't see something he would have not should have seen. Right. Um so it was uh it was a real situation. I can't make anyone believe anything that, that they don't want to believe, but it was a real situation. And I can't tell all of this. Um, God just really hasn't cut me loose yet to tell the whole story. But a lot of things happened in the next few weeks because I, I was so 
devastated and didn't really understand everything and I didn't find a note and um anyway but over the next few weeks just through a series of events you know uh well when it went on about two months uh he kind of let me know everything and I understand it now and only my husband and I really know everything and anyway um and then at some point I think he wants me to either write or speak about it but he hadn't really cut me loose yet and um so I'm waiting I'm waiting on that but anyway he's definitely real and I can back that up with it by these other things that happened as well and um I just uh I don't know I've never sometimes even even though that happens sometimes I'll hear bad things in the world especially when it involves children or something and and you just think where is you know is there really a god because why are these things happening you know to, to children and stuff and uh and then I have to remember you know that I was blessed with knowing he's real you know uh if I had just been in a state of prayer or just meditating or something and something like that happened you can almost feel like you you know may have just dreamed it you know but this was interjection into a situation that I was completely not thinking about anything like that. And so I know what was real and what wasn't. And then as the weeks rolled out and as things were explained to me, then I understood. I understood why he asked me to trust him. And um, if you can believe it, uh, I, I appreciate what he did. You know, it, it was um, it's just a long story, but he... I think our priest said to me when he came to the house, our, our priest was so good and he came over and he stayed for hours and he said, you may not understand it right now. And he said, and I don't, you know, he said, but I do know that God takes people at the optimal time for their soul to be saved. Mm -hmm. Said So maybe you'll find answers to that. Maybe you won't. But he said, I, I, I know that to be true, you know, and, um, and I think he's right. You know, I didn't, I, I didn't argue with him, but I didn't really understand it when he was there. I just said, yes, sir. <laughs> but I do know now he was right. And um, so that that one day will be something I talk about. But um, anyway, so like I said, there was there was my life after that and my life before it. And it was just it's like been split in half, you know. And um, you want me to uh, I do know um, about a year it might have been within a year later, God kind of gave me an idea for a ministry to kind of honor my son. I don't know if you want me to talk about that or whatever, but uh, it's, he, my son was uh, really good in athletics. He was real good at baseball and he played golf and everything, but he kind of uh, expressed himself a lot through art and um, he wrote a lot I even found a lot of things he had written after he died I didn't even know he existed just in every little notebook he had and stuff. those are wonderful gifts aren't they yeah I found a piece of art that he had crushed up and just kind of threw it in his closet and uh, I unfolded it and uh, a friend of mine took it home with her that night and she had it framed and it's still hanging in my house you know and um we've got other paintings and stuff but it's kind of like I don't know nothing wrong with sports or anything, but a lot of times you put your kids in sports and, that, and you think that's their identity and stuff, but sometimes you have to find what they really, um, what makes their heart sing, what makes them feel like they can express themselves and stuff. And um, he, he was doing that through some art, some writing, 
Uh, he fucked around on the guitar a lot. You know, he just, he kind of had that side, that creative side to him. And so anyway, I, all of a sudden, kind of a whole ministry kind of formed itself in my mind. And I, I feel like God was really behind that. And um, I called it Our Youth Speak, Our Youth Speak. And the tagline was, listen to what they have to say. And so I didn't really know if any kids would jump on, but they, they did. And uh, what it was, was I just put in the bulletin, you know, that uh, this ministry is kind of to allow them to express themselves through art, writing, music, videography, whatever, whatever their jam was, you know, that I was going to try to figure out a way to, to work it in. And, um, and it went well. God kind of asked me to set it aside after a few years, but for two or three years, we did it and it went well. And um, uh, we, uh, I started with art and I would have days like a, say a whole Saturday where kids could come and do workshops and create art. Some of them would do it on their own because they were really into art. And so they were turning in pieces to me that were just, some of them were just beautiful and um, really beautiful. <laughs> and, um, so what we would do is we would have, we would uh, display them. I, I had a, my mother-in-law had had a frame shop. And she had given me some equipment and also I was cutting mats and framing. I was buying frames at garage sales, and, you know, framing all these kids pieces. And then we would display it all in our main hall during like a whole weekend after masses, people could walk over. And if they wanted to bid on them, they could. And then they would uh, win the piece or whatever. But all of the funds we made doing all that uh, were going, I was starting um, to, my friend was in the youth ministry <clears throat> and I would just give her the money and they were using it to help send the kids to March for Life in Washington. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and so I didn't want, we didn't need to make any money to do anything. I was kind of donating any supplies and I had people uh, donating just whatever you needed just shows up, you know? So, um, the money though we had kids that really would have loved to have gone to washington but it cost it back then it was costing 500 dollars to go i'm sure now it costs more per kid to get on a bus and go so um we were helping them raise money because a lot of kids couldn't afford it especially if there were two in a family so anyway um then i started something called the Caraggio cafe <laughs> uh <clears throat> I'm probably running out of juice here, but um, Pope John Paul at one of the youth days uh, told all the kids, you know, have coraggio. That means have courage, you know, and be not afraid. And um, so I just kind of heard him say that. And uh, so I thought, well, that would be a good name for the cafe. So we, we called it the coraggio cafe. But what we would do is like on a Friday night, we would open the main hall and people could come and uh, we would cook and stuff and they could buy plates of food. <laughs> I got a Coke right here, but, um, I understand anyway, uh, they could buy food and the kids themselves would, uh, just different kids in our parish. Uh, and sometimes it was little kids that just played guitar and sang. And sometimes it would be up to, um, college age, but whoever wanted to take a 30 minute uh, session or whatever. So these kids were doing all the music and the entertaining. I mean, I, I was floored at what talent some of these kids had that I didn't know about. And um, mm. so anyway, uh, and then we would kind of open the main hall and have it go on like Saturday afternoon and then people could come over after mass and finish it off. <clears throat> and, um, but all of that money went to the March for Life too, you know, so 
Uh, what y'all call it again? It was called Our Youth Speak. Listen to what they have to say. And um, one of our kids came and asked me that said they like to do videography. Could they do something? So right about the same time, you know, things work out. Uh, I think God lines it all up, you know, but somebody, um, we had a ministry at our church called Threads, Threads of Love. Mm. And, um, it was, they sew garments for like little preemie babies and stuff. So these kids did the video that highlighted their ministry and they put it on our church website for years. It was on there for years, you know? So, uh, I just looked today because I wasn't sure if it was still on there and they've taken it down because they remodeled the whole website. But these kids were able to, uh, and they did a darn good video, <laughs> did a really good job. It's very well filmed. They let the women that sew do the talking. Some of them are, were older women that had a lot of wisdom, you know. And um, so anyway, they, uh, and then I was going to think, oh, we had a, a little insert into the church bulletin. And um, they could write things. And so, like, one child wrote about hope, you know, and uh, one child wrote about her experience kind of being abused and, and how she's come out of that and stuff. So it was just a way for them to express themselves and let people in our church realize what a gold mine they have in their youth, you know. And um, sometimes we, I think Pope, Pope John Paul said one time, <coughs> he said, um, you are not the future. Let's see. How did he say it? I might, I might quote it wrong, but we put it on a t-shirt. Our young people are not the church of the future. They are the church now with a future. I think yeah. that's how. And I think, um, I think, I mean, there's a lot of people and a lot of people that work in youth ministry that very much know what um, special people our youth can be. But sometimes, especially because our parish was pretty big, some of these kids get lost in the crowd. And then you might lose them later on to a church that has a better youth program or something. You know, you need to let them somehow highlight their talents now <laughs> while you've got them. Right. Make them feel more at home. <clears throat> um, but we did that for a few years. It went good. Um, we had, a, you know, had fun and um, sent a good many kids to the March for Life. So where do we want to go now? <laughs> I'm so, uh, I'm so glad that um, your heart's full of what you want to say. So I didn't have to talk because I was getting choked up listening. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, Tom there, he was talking about his daughter being born with a condition. She wasn't supposed to live very long at all. She's 22 now and all. Uh, uh, Olive Mule there. I like that name, Olive Mule. Yeah. He, he wanted to say he's praying. You know something? Uh, I had a, when I was at the police department. I really looked at it the whole time, but I can see it now. Okay. It, it's, it's hard. You want to say hi to everybody so bad, but you're you're listening too. Um, yeah. I had a, a female I went to the police academy with, and uh, she tried to take her own life. I don't know what the circumstances were totally, but she uh, shot herself. and survived yeah and then but she was a paraplegic in a wheelchair and she came over to my house once to talk to me because some of the police officers would we started this bible study thing we were you know hellions by night and would have this bible study on our <laughs> off day i was 
I mean, we were. You probably need it's just it. funny to see how we were at work. <laughs> then, you know, they'd come over Monday night, we'd have church. And yeah. nobody would believe we did this. But um, she came, she came in a wheelchair. I remember we had a split four year in her house, and everybody carried her up to the house. And she told us, she told us, uh, don't judge anyone that takes their life. You, you don't know what they're going through. And you don't know how quick God can save someone. Cause she told us that she pulled that trigger all the way back and changed her mind, cried out to God, asked for forgiveness, asked for help, repeat all that. She said before she felt that bullet go in her or heard the sound, it was too late. Yeah. But in that, but it made that, that little bit of time, she got all prayed up and repented, you yeah. know, and she woke up, she was paralyzed, you know, unfortunately, but, uh, she, you know, but, she gave her life to the Lord. She said, look, she said, uh, don't judge none of these people. You don't know what they're going through. And even if they do the worst, God can still save them because God's not bound by time. Right. He oh, can yeah. do more in a split that activity you engaged you saw you, you don't know what i mean you probably know now i hope to hear it sometime would love yeah. to hear the rest of it but what you said a lot of activity going on i was uh, reading a, a neurosurgeon uh th this summer and they were doing these experiments with uh people that were passing away and had them hooked up to uh imagery and yeah. they said they know that for up to three days, they can detect all kinds of mental activity, brain waves, and stuff going on in that person's mind and body, which I wholeheartedly believe. I believe there's a lot we don't know. Yeah. And I hope one day when you're ready, I hope I can hear some of that. Some of that that God has shown you. I'm sure that God will use you when you're ready. I know yeah. you have to be ready because it's hard for me just to, to share some things. I can't do it. But when you're ready, I would. I hope I can get to hear it or read it. Yeah. Um, it, it's. I've got some things written in a journal just to make sure I keep the details right. <clears throat> but um, it was amazing. So it's... It's kind of a weird situation though, because I, I can't talk about it really um, right now with people, uh, not even family, and um, really just my husband and I understand it all, you know. So anyway, but I, I still say God is good. Um, it was horrid, uh, don't get me wrong, but I, He gave me so many graces during that time. Uh, don't know why, you know. I I, I had a, I say that because. Um, my neighbor down the street, her daughter was tragically killed and um, it was a horrible situation and their mass didn't go that great. It was a different priest and, and he didn't look like he was even wanting to be there that day. You know, so there's, there's situations where I don't know why my day went so good and I don't know why all of my prayers got answered and I don't know why I was given so much knowledge of what happened when there's other people in this world that are looking for their children and can't find them. And, you know, I don't know why, but, um, he'll, he'll let me know when he's ready for it all to come out, I guess. That's, uh, it's wonderful to hear you share about that. 
yeah. just but- that something's there. Um, I call it one thing I know that is uh, when my son and my daughter passed away that uh, me and my wife and my son and family, we experienced all kinds of wonderfully weird things. Yeah, they had to be God. There's no way in the world oh, they could yeah. happen by chance. You and you know, you just know what you know. Yeah. You know, I call him Godwin. God, God let Ricky call me. On the, <laughs> I, I was laying in bed one morning. I just waking up, and I had a dream. It was a dream, but it was real. And I heard a phone ringing, and you know, I said hello, and it was him on the other line, on the other end, saying. Hey, mom, I just wanted to call and let you know I was okay. And I said, oh, you know, I'm so glad to hear from you. Oh, you know, and 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 I started crying, but he never said anything else. And when I woke up officially, I was laying there crying. It was like a phone call he let me have. Yeah. Oh, so he was okay. And um, That's wonderful. So anyway, whatever people want to think about things like that, uh, you just have to just be there. <laughs> you have to just be there. You know, and uh, it, it has to be your experience, I guess. But I know, I know uh, there was a lot of ways like that where God let me know I've got him. Don't worry. Now you worry anyhow because you just miss him. And right. when you're not used to not seeing your child, it's not like he lived across the country and I never saw him or whatever. You know, I, we saw him every day. So when you go from seeing a child every day to not seeing him, for weeks, you start to forget, and you get really anxious, and you want answers. And um, some reason, he gave me some, you know, he gave me things like that that kept happening. Like, like you said, just God things over and over again. You know, I'm so and, glad. What is that? Uh, that painting or drawing you have behind you? That's my, <laughs> my daughter placed me here. <laughs> She said this is where she sits to do phone interviews and stuff. So I, it's just a painting probably from Kirkland's or Hobby Lobby at my daughter's house, you know. I see all but, kinds of God winks in there. Oh, really? <laughs> I just, it's yeah. all, uh, our internet is not that great at our house. And if I was to try to do this at my house, first of all, I didn't really know. We have six inch outer walls and we just don't get a good connection. So I wasn't sure if it would work. Second of all, my husband would have either had to cut the TV off or it would have went off anyway. Because usually if I'm doing something on YouTube, like uploading a video, his TV goes out. <laughs> I know. I didn't want to chance all that. So we came over here and um, they're helping me out with it tonight. But um, you want I, I think a little bit about Richard um, <coughs> and just uh, where our lives are at now. Um, <coughs> he was working full time. Um, he was 57 and uh, collapsed on our driveway with a stroke in January of 2021. And so uh, it's been three years last month, you know, that we've been dealing with this. He can't, he cannot work anymore. He, it, it was a bad, bad stroke. And um, it's left, it left him uh, very slow moving. He can walk now, but he, he's very slow. He, you kind of got to shag along with him sometimes, you know, cause he could stop his foot and fall and stuff, you know, he's a fall risk. And um, he has global aphasia and he has to search for the right word to say a lot of times, a lot of things he says, I can't 
understand some things that a lot I can, you know, it's, he's making progress still, even after three years, he's making some progress. And, um, he struggles with like even calling our kids the right names and stuff. You know, he, he calls our son, his brother's name. He just cannot say our son's name for some reason. Lainey, that <laughs> I know of, I've not had a stroke and just about everything <laughs> your husband's experienced. Everybody <laughs> makes fun of me. I don't know. I call him, I get everybody's, and so did my mom. I call my wife, my dog's name, my granddaughter, my wife's name, my daughter-in-law. I just, you know, I'll be praying for your husband. You would blend. You would blend with him, you know. And uh, and what's funny is after a while, I get used to it, and then I end up, I, I call my son the right name if I'm talking to my son. But if I'm talking to my husband about my son, I call him the brother's name because that's what Richard understands. I, I, I get it. It's funny. But, uh, and, and I guess this event would be a terrible event if that had been the only event in our life, you know, um, this event here would be enough to knock people down sometimes because it, it's been uh, a struggle. Um, you know, he, he was making really good money. Um, we we're on social security disability, social security and his disability right now. And, um, uh, that'll, his disability will end at a certain point. But uh, so we've had to adjust. But I've just like I've I've tried to not ever complain because I always say we, we've been through worse, you know. And um, and he survived it uh, not too much too long ago. A, a friend of mine at church, her husband didn't survive his stroke. So you know, I just I, I don't look at myself as an optimist all the time. Like I don't walk around thinking I'm a big optimist. I just sometimes I feel like I don't want to complain because. It could be so much worse. And so I just don't. I just kind of, he told me today, he said, uh, I was doing something, folding a blanket for him or whatever. And he said, uh, you've been a good wife for three years. And I mm -hmm. said, this is stroke period, you know. And I said, well, we've been married almost 40. I said, I don't know what happened in them other 37. <laughs> but, you know, I said, I, I, I'll give you that. The last three, I've been pretty darn good. <laughs> so, That's very uh, sweet. What you gonna do? It just is what it is, you know. What you gonna do? And um, so anyway, um, it's been it's it's been a struggle. But we sold our home and we fought a double wide. But we were we had enough equity we were able to pay cash, so we don't have any bills anymore or anything. And we we have a good life. We have a pretty little piece of property, and um, we moved farther out in the country, and uh. We just, you know, we have a good life and I'm trying trying to do the best I can to manage the property by myself. You know, I'm, sometimes I think I've got it going on and then other times I'm tired, you know, <laughs> because you're, you're used to having a balance in the work. You know, if, if you're out mowing, well, I'll cook supper, you know, whatever. But now I'm kind of doing all of it and uh, I get worn out sometimes. But, I, I can understand that. Yeah. And paperwork and the bills and you know and you're doing everything you know and um so I do get kind of worn out but um we I, I always tell him you know I hate that it happened to, it happened to him so I don't know how he always feels um so I don't want to focus on me all the time but all in all we have a good life um you know he we're able to go riding and do things together now, run errands together. He always worked a lot and his job was 50 miles from our house. So, you know, that, that affects your life. You know, you, you don't see each other very much, you know, it wasn't easy to eat lunch with him or do anything like that. You know, he was around, around the chemical plant 
industry. So um, now we kind of do what we want to do every day. <laughs> God works it out. Well, Lainey, I'm, I've run out of time, but I had really enjoyed having you. Thank you so I, much. I will be praying for you all the time. I love you. I care about what you've been through, and I can't wait for a lot of people to watch this video in the future listen to the podcast it's very powerful i've tried to block out whether i don't even know who's watching but i pre and if anybody from my channel came over i really appreciate that i see eight day chronicles he's from my channel i know that yeah. and I, I, some of the other ones might be, I, I don't know how to scroll back and look but i do appreciate everything and i appreciate them coming over and watching this for me yeah they'll get to watch the replay you can say hi to him in the comments Okay. <laughs> okay, I'll give you a text uh, this evening or tomorrow, okay? Okay, thank you so All much. All right. Thank bye -bye. you so much, Rainy Laney. Bye. Okay. Bye. Mm -hmm.